All right? You guys ready for the word? The first message of the year. I'm so excited to do this. Uh, this is going to be a little, sort of a mini-series. Love God, love your neighbor, love one another, just to kind of set the trajectory for all of us. And I've been kind of harping on these three things. These are good things to, to press into us, but I, I don't want it to just be ideas. I want these to be uh, things that we live by. I want us to to actually live these things out. So I want to talk to you today about what is called the great commandment um, in Matthew 22. It says, in one of them, a lawyer asked him, asked Jesus a question to test him and said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you probably know that. Uh, But we're really going to kind of dig deep into this idea today of loving God. You know, I think we know what, what it means, you know, that all our heart, all means all, like all that we are, all that we have. It would be the opposite of lax or half-hearted um, or nominal. We, we don't want to love. I joke around sometimes. I don't think any of us as followers of Jesus, you know, say, oh yeah, I, I just want to love Jesus with only half of my heart or with 30% of what I am or none, none of us like would admit that at least. You know, we, we, we want to be people who love God with heart, mind, and soul and all that is within us. I remember in my internship long time ago for campus ministry up in Boston, um, one of the first books we read was called The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman, kind of a standard campus ministry book. But I just, I don't remember anything from that book other than this one line. It was like the first line of one of the chapters that said, there is no room for slackers in the kingdom of God. And I was like, oh my gosh, did he just say that? And it just like stuck in me. Um, but it, it really is true. You know, as, as kingdom people, as followers of Jesus, we should be uh, lit with love for God. We should love God with all of our hearts. Now we always fall short, but we should make every effort, right? We should be always striving to, to give our best. I remember as a brand new Christian, um, probably maybe two or three weeks old in the Lord, and I had sort of a dramatic conversion and didn't have a lot of biblical understanding when I came to faith. Uh, but, you know, so I was processing all this and, and reading things and just, just talking with other Christians and trying to like wrap my head around sort of what happened to me. Um, and I remember about I don't know exactly when it was, but maybe two, two or three weeks or a month in or something. I just remember I was staying with a friend um, in Western Mass, at a, and I was at a college campus, and I just remember having this uh, sort of epiphany that it is fitting, it is only fitting, that I should give every bit of myself to God all the days of my life. And it was kind of like this moment of realizing that being nominal is not right. 
Like, I think I was just processing how God gave himself to me and how he gave his own blood, he gave his own life, how he's really given us everything, breath and life, and here we are, and, you know, bodies, and, you know, he's given us meaning. He's, like, all things come from him. Um, How could we not, you know, give ourselves to him in return? Well, Scripture reveals that God is affected by the choices that that we make. Uh, We we don't always love that (laughs) concept, right? Because we know that, you know, sort of like when David sinned, it said that the thing that David did greatly displeased the Lord. But this just is what it is, you know? God is affected by things that we do, uh, positive and and negative. Um, But just in in the positive sense... Um, our lives can be, some of the phrases you see in scripture can be a blessing to God. Um, Things that we do can be pleasing in the sight of God, a delight to the Lord. Our lives can be, this is more metaphorical, but a fragrant offering to God, like a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. Uh, ways that we live can be acceptable and pleasing to God, right? First uh, Peter 3, 4, speaking specifically uh, about women, uh, but it's a beautiful verse. It says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. God is affected by how we live. I mean, we get this from uh, just our experiences as children or watching parents and children, or many of you um, are parents, of course. But, uh, you know, I think that, I mean, we have two two daughters, an adult now, 20, I don't even know how old they are, 20, 20 somethings, 20, 23 and 25 or something like that. Um, but, you know, especially well, whether they're adults or whether they're little kids, you know, things that they do, things that they say, um, how they live, choices that they're making, as a parent, as a good parent, they affect you, either positive or negative, right? You always love them, right? You love them unconditionally. You love them no matter what. But if they do uh, wrong things, they're making poor choices, they're going down wrong roads, it, it affects you. Like, you feel it. And then in the positive, when they do uh, good things and beautiful things and they're making right decisions, it just, man, it just, there's nothing that makes a parent happier than, than that. And I think it just, it's a little glimpse of how God the Father is. He is affected by how we live. So we're talking about living in such a way that our lives are like a fragrant offering to the Lord, a sweet aroma that we do things and, and, and say things and live in such a way that uh, sort of brings a, a smile to God, in a sense, okay? Maybe not literally, but, you know, it's just that there's a joy that God gets from how we live. It's actually pretty awesome to think about that, isn't it? I mean, it's like terrifying, not terrifying, but it's just, it's kind of like sobering in a way that we could do something that could grieve God, or even provoke God to anger. 
Um, that, that's an awesome thought. But the thought that we can, we can actually live in a way that like moves God and, and gives him joy, like brings pleasure to the God of the universe. I mean, the God who made all things that we could, our lives could actually bless him, that we could be precious in the sight of God. I think it's pretty exciting. And again, it's, it's sobering and it just is what it is. You know, this is the truth. You know, it's not like, well, I don't want that. <laughs> I just want to have a different God that doesn't feel anything and doesn't care about what I do or doesn't, he isn't grieved or isn't delighted. And if, well, I don't know, you can have that, but it doesn't really exist. It would be in your imagination. The God who is the only true God feels things and is affected by how we live. So I think, you know, it's easy to, uh, to, to believe that, you know, that we're good and that, that, that we have uh, a great love for God in our hearts, right? We always tend to, I shouldn't say all of us, but, you know, we tend to bend toward thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. Um, and we kind of overestimate maybe our devotion to God or our great love for God. Until we come to passages like Revelation 2 and 3, um, and if, for those who don't know about Revelation 2 and 3, it's just basically Jesus speaking to different churches. And I just love his straightforwardness. And he's basically commending them for certain things. And, but he's kind of calling them out. Uh, and he has different things to say to different churches, but calling them out and communicating things that he has against them. And one of the churches is the church in Ephesus, and he says things like this. It's great, um, great commendation. I, I know your works. You know, I see the, the hard work. I see your toil. I notice your patient endurance. You've tested and discerned evil things. You've stood firm for my sake. You've not grown weary. They're feeling good at this point, right? Yeah, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, which they were basically a group of professing Christians who were uh, kind of causing other Christians to fall into sexual immorality and idolatry, and they were saying it's fine to do these things, and, and it actually wasn't fine, and God was hating that, and the Ephesian Christians hated that as well, and God was commending them for having a love for truth. But then... He says this, but, I think the NIV says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. I think one version, maybe it's the King James, says you first, you've forsaken your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. I mean, can you imagine God saying that to you? I think God is saying that to many of his people today. That you are doing a lot of things right. It's possible to do a lot of things right, but be in a place where you've kind of lost that real affection and passion and love for God. Uh, does that resonate with anyone? I mean, I know that it's a struggle for me through the years to keep, I mean, I could do stuff, right? It's okay, keep, you know, giving, tithing, keep going, showing up, keep just, okay, here I am, you know, keep doing the things. 
you know, keep reading the Bible, keep doing the duties. And it's just not, I don't want to say it's easy to do those things, but especially if you've been a Christian for a long time, you can just, you just, this is, I don't know, you don't even think about it anymore. It's like second nature. You're just doing the things. But how easy it is to, to get away from the love, like really doing these things out of lo- like a deep love from your heart. Um, we need God's love to be able to do that, which I'll touch on in a bit. Well, <clears throat> I don't want to get too deep into this, but it kind of needs to be said that Scripture also reveals what grieves the Lord. Um, this should be considered carefully, lest we find ourselves like so many exerting incredible religious effort, um, but in vain, and even in a way that might be provoking God to anger. God seems to have a particular disdain for hypocrisy or pretending, you know, kind of acting like you're one thing, but actually you are a different thing. Uh, God really hates that and, and calls that out many times in scripture. But he is grieved at times when we claim to know him, but do not do what he says. And this comes out in so many different biblical passages. And by the way, grief is, you know, for those that are parents, you know this really well. Grief is not, you know, sometimes we just wish God was just pleased with everything we do. <laughs> you know, I wish he was just delighted all the time with no matter how, what we did, what we said, what we, how we live, decisions we make, because he just, you know, loves us so much. He just doesn't care about how we live. But actually grief is, is part of love. As parents, some of you, as parents have had children make really poor decisions, that you know we're going to affect their lives in negative ways. And there is a grief that you feel. It's not like some kind of fleshly, selfish anger. No, it's actually part of love. Your displeasure of what they're doing is really flows out of a genuine um, concern for them and love for them. So these aren't like two parts of God, like the good part and the bad part. They all flow from God is love. It all flows from love. But anyways, Isaiah 1 uh, gives us a glimpse. God says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? I've had enough of burnt offerings. I do not delight in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. You know, all their religious activity. He says, I cannot endure, this phrase always sticks out to me, iniquity and solemn assembly. Do you hear what that means? God says, I cannot endure. God says, like, it just irks me. You know, it it just bothers me when there's, sin, blatant, willful sin mixed with, oh, let's have a solemn assembly. Let's have a a holy church service, you know, for Jesus. And God's like, no, these things need to come together. The way we live and the way we we worship corporately needs to be, um, there should be no gap there. It should be, it should be connected. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. And even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. And there's many portions like this. There's another portion in the book of Amos, chapter 5. There's 
Really, most of the book of Malachi is about this. Jesus, of course, spoke a lot to the religious leaders of his day. And like Matthew 23, for example, really calls out the hypocrisy. Like, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You know, you you do all these things. You know, outwardly, you're all holy and religious and but inwardly you're you're a mess I mean that's my paraphrase but Jesus called that out and and so we do know that God is grieved and even provoked to anger by the hypocrisy and the disobedience and the rebellion stubbornness of his people at times we just need to you know kind of take take that to heart and it, it's right to be concerned about this about grieving God. I don't want to grieve God. You know, if we love God, I don't want to grieve God. I mean, if I love you, I don't want to grieve you. I don't want to, you know, we don't want to hurt people. We don't want to wound people that we love, right? That's just kind of a basic relationship principle. However, if our aim is only to avoid disappointing and provoking God to anger, well, that's not much of a relationship, right? Um, if our focus is on just, you know, avoiding sin and not doing anything wrong and just because, you know, we're terrified that God's going to, you know, clobber us if we, we do the wrong thing. That, but that's not really a, a full relationship. Again, it's, it's fitting um, to fear God and to fear his judgments. Um, that, that's a good thing and a right thing. But God has not called us to himself merely for the purpose of having these specimens who do not sin anymore. <laughs> you know, yeah, he does not want us to sin, but the reason why he wants to get the sin out of the way is for a purpose, is to restore us to himself so that we can have close relationship with himself. Um, some of us have had relationship, relationships with parents or maybe coaches or school teachers older siblings, I don't know, just different relatives that were just just like this, kind of fear-based relationships. Um, again, some measure of fear is good and fitting with relationships. I mean, you should have a little bit of fear toward your earthly father or your employer who can fire you. And it's, again, not like unhealthy, excessive, but just you know, a right kind of fitting measure as an authority figure, the king, uh, the, the president, uh, a police officer. I always feel a little tinge of like when I drive too fast by the police, which is happening a lot lately. <laughs> um, in my new car that's very zippy, and I'm all of a sudden going 53 miles an hour in a 35, and I need to, need to learn. You can pray for me about that. Um, <laughs> But, um, but no, I, I think maybe it's from childhood, but it's just, you know, okay, it's, he's an authority figure. And actually Romans talks about that. Like they have been given a certain authority by God to execute, you know, judgment and to, to keep order. And so we should uh, fear, have a, some fear, healthy fear of authority figures. So some measure is good, but if that's the extent of our relationship with God, that's not good. That's going to be devoid of intimacy. Um, so, which is just why we need to consider not just what not to do to displease God, but what in fact pleases God. And that's where I want to talk, spend most of my time today. The Apostle Paul said, 
whether we're uh, here on the earth in the body or we're uh, present with the Lord, you know, absent from the body and at home with the Lord, we make it our goal. We make it our aim to please the Lord. Ephesians 5.10 says, discern or find out what pleases the Lord. And so that's what we're going to do for the next few minutes is we're going to just talk about that. What, what does actually please the Lord? Because it's very easy for us as humans to, uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to please God the way I feel like he needs to be pleased. Or I'm going to love him the way I want to love him. And, but we, we need to really kind of pay attention to what scripture says. It reveals a lot of what the Lord is looking for, what delights God. Loving God is more than what we do on a Sunday morning. It's certainly more than just attending church. It's more than singing songs. Um, it's, it's a thousand things. It's a thousand small things that we do through the course of a week or even a day. It's what we do in secret. It's the words out of our mouth. It's the meditation of our hearts. It's taking a thought captive and bringing it under obedience to Christ. It's having pure motives. Um, it's what we do with what we've been given. It's having an undivided affection for God. It's bearing, gladly bearing the shame of Christ at times, just identifying as a Christian or identifying with believing certain orthodox truths of the Bible that aren't popular anymore, but just taking that on. God is pleased in those moments. It's receiving what God wants us uh, to have. It's humility and it's heart. Well, I want to emphasize 10 specific things that I think are important. These are just, it's not an exhaustive list, but uh, these are things that maybe you could call it a jumpstart list of things that please the Lord. And here they are. There's 10 of them. Faithfulness. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Um, he said, you know, why do you call me Lord if you don't do what I say? Um, even at the end of the age, Matthew 25, when people stand before God and, you know, the kind of the essence, I don't think this is literal, but the essence of what God says to his faithful ones is what? You know, well done, good and faithful servant. Faithfulness is who we are over the long haul. It's not occasional acts of dramatic devotion, but rather it's like a steady, faithful, daily obedience to God. Uh, it remi reminds me, for some reason, of the wedding vow, the kind of traditional classic wedding vow to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until parted by death. There's a steadiness to that, right? It's not just like, yeah, you know, seven months out of the year, I'm gonna just do crazy acts of sacrificial love for you, my dear wife. But the other months, I'm on my own. That's not, you know, that's not pleasing to a spouse and certainly that's not pleasing to the Lord. God doesn't want us to be like the spouse who is super nice and loving one day, and then the next day is abusive or neglectful or even adulterous, right? There is something about steadiness. Some of you, I could call out your names in this place. You are just like the poster children for steadiness. 
um, just solid. You've just settled in your heart how you are going to live. You have conformed your lives to uh, the scriptures and you are not bending from that. It doesn't mean you're perfect. You're going to miss the mark. Every day we miss the mark in some way, but there's a, a steadiness, a firmness, an endurance. Um, and God is pleased with that. It's not very uh, exciting. You know, sometimes we forget. We, we feel like we got to do some like crazy thing, like break the box of perfume open and just like, you know, splattered all over Jesus. And like, wow, that's it. You know, but God, let's not forget God is pleased with just quiet, steady obedience. Well, here's another thing. Quality time. Number two, God loves when we fight to make time for him. Like we're all busy, right? We get it. God gets it. God understands. Like he sees our life. But and some of us have the ability to spend way more time with God than others because maybe some have several kids or some have demanding jobs. You have to work 60 hours a week or whatever it may be. So God understands all that. But regardless of how much margin we have in our schedule or what you know, our, our responsibilities are, God sees how much effort we put in to fight right? To, to, to spend time with him. Because if we love him, if we love anybody, we're going to fight to spend time. I always think about uh, people who are just newly in love and, you know, they're just, maybe they're going to get married or they're just dating in the first year or something like that. Man, suddenly there is so much free time in their schedules. They're just, they're talking in the middle of the day. They're texting each other. They're staying up till three in the morning, talking on the phone, even though they probably shouldn't be. They, you know, oh, I'll pick you up. You know, I'll bring you to work tomorrow. And they just, you know, there's so much effort is made to spend time with each other and to connect with one another. Why? Love. Because that's what love does. And God feels that too. When we barely make effort to, I don't really, I'm so busy. I don't really have time to spend with the Lord. You know, I know he wants us to pray and everything, but I just, I don't have time. I don't have time. You think he doesn't feel that? It's like, all right, you know. I think that's, that's kind of almost wounding to God. Like he, he, especially when he emphasizes this so much in scripture, throughout scripture, just calling us to, <clears throat> to pray and to seek him and to be with him and to hunger and thirst and to just pursue him, just to sit at his feet. You know, I think about Martha and Mary, right? That classic story where Martha was like running around and serving and which was awesome. We should serve the Lord. It wasn't that that was a wrong thing, but Martha was kind of missing the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus. And she was also really frustrated with her sister, Mary, and frustrated at Jesus for not like getting on Mary for helping her more, right? It was a mess. <laughs> so Jesus just kind of lifted up Mary and said, she's doing the thing that's, that's needful right now. And what was Mary doing? She was just sitting at the feet of Jesus in quietness and stillness and just listening to, to Christ. And God is pleased when we, when we do that. Sometimes we feel like we, in, with prayer, so much I could say here, but 
you know, we feel like we need to come with, oh, you know, all this stuff. We've got to impress God. We've got to come with all these ideas. We've got to, you know, we're going to come and lay out the newest theology that we're learning before the Lord and that somehow he's pleased with all that. Look, he, you know, he doesn't need all that. If we have stuff to, to say, great, you know, like sh- share it with him. That's awesome, you know. But he just wants to spend time with us. Sometimes it's just being with him and just being in his presence, being quiet, just gazing on him, just maybe singing a little bit or just reading some psalms and, and just acknowledging him. You don't have to, the, the goal of prayer is not to like, how much content can I pack in to this 60 hour block? Like how much information can I give to God in this prayer time? That, that's not the goal, right? The goal is just be with him, listen, just relax in his presence. But God loves this and makes this, um, makes this point throughout scripture. I'll just give you one verse, Proverbs 15, 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is uh, an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is a delight to him. Makes me think of the, the bowls of incense in future glory talked about in the book of Revelation. What are those bowls of incense that fill all of heaven with a, with a fragrance, that, that bring fragrance and aroma to the heart of God? The bowls are the prayers of God's people that have somehow been stored up. So if you, if you have some prayer uh, this morning or this afternoon or whatever, and it's, it's pleasing to God in real time, but it actually, it's, it's sort of like the gift that keeps giving. It's, you know, your prayers will live on forever and be part of the, the fragrance in heaven. I mean, that's, that should motivate us to pray a bit. <laughs> All right, here's another thing. Number three, an undivided heart, or another way to put it would be a pure motive. Uh, James 4 talks about this, um, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Like you kind of can't have both. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So we, we can't just like be, oh, I love God. And then we're going to, you know, just love the, the things of the world. Or, you know, we're going to love Jesus, praise God with our lips. But then we're going to, you know, curse people in our hearts, um, you know, the next day. Uh, scripture over and over says that it doesn't work that way. First uh, John 2 do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. So God loves and takes pleasure in hearts that are fully devoted, just like a wife takes pleasure in a husband who does not cheat on her. It's very similar. I mean, you, if, when you read the prophets, there is so much language of almost like marital type language and God calling his people adulterous people and almost communicating through the prophets this sense of like woundedness of the way that somebody who uh, has been cheated on for a period of time and then it comes out and like how they feel that grief or that just you know, humiliation and woundedness. Like God brings that through the prophets. Um, so he, he loves hearts that are fully devoted to him, that God would be the supreme treasure 
or Paul said in Philippians 3, you know, I count all things but rubbish. Uh, for what? For the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's sort of like the marital vow, forsaking all others. You know, forsaking the, I don't know how many women there are on the planet. How many? Does anybody know? Three billion or something? Four billion? I uh, forsake all of the beautiful women on the planet, and I choose my one uh, lovely wife to serve and to adore and to be faithful to. Uh, that's what God is looking for. I think earthly spouses are looking for the same, but you know, God is looking for that too. He doesn't want to share our affection. Like we give him a little affection, but then we love all these other things as well. Or, you know, God is just one of many things that we love up there with like, you know, pizza and video games and just, I don't know, just other things. Like God wants to be the supreme passion and affection of our life. Can someone say amen? amen? All right, number four, love for truth. This will be a whole message in itself, but Christ is the truth, and we have to love truth to love God. We can't really be loving God if we don't love truth. It, that doesn't make any sense. This is why doctrine matters. It's not just, well, there's so many different opinions out there and nobody really knows everything. You know, There's so many different. No, we need to be lovers of the truth. God is not fooled. Just because there's so many different opinions, even within the, the, the church of Jesus out there, you know, so many different ideas. No, he knows if we are loving the truth and really hungry for the truth. Um, Jesus said in John 4, the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And this is the kind of worshipers that the Father is seeking. Uh, third John, I think verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Jeremiah 5, run to and fro through the streets. Look and take uh, note. Search your square. See if you can find even one man who does justice and seeks the truth that I may pardon her. They were swearing falsely. And then 2 Timothy, there's so much that scripture says about truth. But 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, sound doctrine. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth. This is, this is happening. You know, the time is coming. This was written 2,000 years ago. <laughs> the time has come when people just basically, I want to gather, I want a pastor who's just going to tell me exactly what I want to hear. And it's going to tell me smooth things and things that just, you know, align with what I want to believe. You know, this is, this, is, this is the day we live in. Basically, well, what do you want to believe? You know, basically just whatever you want to believe, that that's what you should believe. You know, that's your truth. But that, that's not how we roll, right, as, as Christians. We, we're lovers of truth. The, the truths that we love and the truths that we don't love. You know, we, we want to be lovers of truth. And God is honored by that and makes that clear in so many different places in Scripture. Number five, a broken and contrite heart. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, saves the crushed in spirit, Psalm 34, 18. The Lord takes a certain pleasure, this comes through in so many places in scripture, in humility, in sort of poverty of spirit, in brokenness, in 
not brokenness in, in, in the sense of like a person who's like socially broken or something like that. That's like, I know we kind of use that word in many different ways in our society, but broken just means, well, think of like the wild stallion, you know, the wild horse that's tamed and, and just kind of broken and yielded to, to the master. God loves that kind of um, like brokenness where our pride is, you know, broken. And, you know, we come to that place of just being, you know, kind of crushed before him. Uh, God loves that. He loves and takes delight in, in those who understand their need for him. It's kind of the opposite of self-righteous, arrogant, um, haughty, proud. God loves uh, when our posture is one of humility, right? He takes a special delight in that. Do you remember the, the, the picture? It was kind of a funny picture, but that Jesus gave where there was one guy who, you know, was standing up and he seemed like so holy, probably had like robes on. And he's like, oh, I thank God that I am you know, not like these other sinners and I tithe and I do all the right things and I, you know, fast twice a week or whatever he was saying, you know, it was just kind of these, these big boasts and everything. And, but, you know, it probably just looked so holy and religious. And, and, and then there was a guy next to him who was like just on his face, just on the ground, prostrate, you know, just wailing before the Lord and just saying, God, have mercy on me. He was so aware of his own, his own, you know, his need for God and his own sinfulness. And Jesus basically said, yeah, this guy is praying to himself. <laughs> this guy on the ground beating his chest for mercy, that's the one who's going to walk away justified. That's the one that God notices and is pleased by. That's encouraging it should be encouraging to, to all of us because it's like, oh, <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> you know, I, I can be aware of my own sinfulness. I, I, can, I can be aware of my own need for God, that, that God is actually pleased with those who, you know, just kind of are broken before him and humble before him. Uh, that makes all of us candidates to be people who bring great delight in the Lord. All right, let me zip through a few more. Serving his church, um, huge. John 13, Jesus demonstrated, you know, washing the disciples' feet and said, you know, uh, this is what I've done as an example for you and I want you to do this for one another. As a father, nothing upset me more, um, even now, I mean, they don't do it as much, but when they were little, they, you know, just kids get in moods and different things like that. And then when they're scrapping and bickering with each other or, or when one is like really, maybe the older is like kind of mistreating or bullying uh, the younger. As a father, you just want to, I don't know if it's too dramatic, but you just, you want to like throw up. You feel so sick inside. You know, I'm like, whatever, in the other room, doing dishes or just doing my work or whatever. And you're hearing that, it's like, you know, there were times where they, yeah, the wrath of dad came, you know. It's like, no, this is not, you're not doing this. Like, this is, this is not cool. This is not what is pleasing to God. This is, this is not what you were designed for. And, and they, were, they rarely did that. But once in a while, you know, that, that would happen. But also on the positive, nothing brings more joy 
to a parent's heart than when, 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 when they see siblings in harmony, right? Just getting along when they see siblings playing well together or when, when one of them uh, does something nice and kind to, to kind We've been watching these home videos lately. They're really fun. And sometimes you see the, our older daughter, Taylor, two years older than her sister, you know, just trying to, you know, help Madeline with whatever little things and just that, that heart of compassion and wanting to serve her little sister. I mean, as a parent, you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's like it just brings joy to your heart. I, I think God is like that. He loves when we serve one another. I mean, Jesus made a huge point in John 13 to say, like, this is kind of what it's about, you know, serving one another and, and doing kind things for one another. Lot That could be a whole sermon in itself, but um, whoever loves God must love his brother. Let's love in word and deed. Um, not just in word and deed, but in truth. And then this is similar. Number seven, serving the poor. Hebrews 13, 16 says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Uh, Matthew 25, Jesus says that whatever we do to the least of these, we do for him. And he was referring to the, to the hungry, the thirsty, people who are in prison or sick or um, people needing clothing or shelter or whatever. That, that actually how we treat people like that, what we do for people like that, it's, it's, it, it's not only noticed by God, but God is saying, it's as if you're doing it to me. Like, I'm going to feel that compassion from you. I mean, that, that's huge. Some of us are like, ah, what does it mean to love God? Well, love the poor. And you are loving, kind of directly loving Jesus. Proverbs 19, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. And of course, you know, this is a whole another conversation, but, you know, we have to use wisdom, especially in this location. There's a lot of people asking for things and needing things. And, you know, we just need to be wise too with how we distribute uh, money or tangible gifts and things like that, because sometimes people are doing drugs and we want to do it in the context of relationship and, and kind of get to know people a bit. Um, unless the spirit really leads you to, you know, but I don't recommend just somebody asks you for money and just slap a 20 in their hand. Like, you know, they could be shooting up, you know, 10 minutes later and, and be on the street overdosed. So, um, you know, we, we've learned enough about this that we just, we need to be smart, but that's not an excuse it's not like, well, I'm not going to give to anybody because, you know, they're just going to do drugs or they should get a job or whatever. No, <laughs> we need to figure it out. It's complicated, but we need to give our thought and, and mind to this. And we need to, we're here for a reason at 184 Broad. Um, you know, to, God has put us here and even put us in this South Side area uh, for a reason. So we want to be a generous church and a generous people. Which leads to the next point, sacrificial giving. 2 Corinthians uh, 9, 7 says this, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I was in L.L. Bean the other day. Uh, was it L.L. Bean? Or, no, it was REI. And I was, I was buying a, a, a bag. 
like I need another bag, but I just, you know, we're doing some traveling. And so, you know, I wanted this like, you know, carry on bag that was like more of a duffel bag and it was like kind of expensive. It was like a North Face bag, but I got some money for Christmas. So I'm like, I'm doing it. You know, I was like really excited. And so I'm like doing this, I'm shopping for, I'm getting excited about getting this, this expensive duffel bag. This $130. And, um, and so, and also I ran into these old friends that used to go to like this church that I used to go to many years ago, like I haven't seen them in 20 years, probably, 12, over 20 years. And they're like, oh my God. And they're like looking for things too. And, the, and, and then the wife was like kind of interested in the bag that I was getting. And I was like, yeah, it's really cool. And I like kind of given a demonstration. I should have got commission for this, you know, kind of, you know, showing her the bag. She's like, wow, that's really cool. It's got this extra pocket. Yeah, that's awesome. And, she, and I was like, you know, as I'm talking with her, I'm like, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I don't care. It's expensive, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting this back. She grabs it and just like heads for the register. And she's like, well, I'm buying it for you. And I'm like, what? No, you can't do that. And then the husband is like, don't even try. Don't even, she, once she has her mind set, you know, she's going to do this thing. So she ends up buying this bag for me. I was like so humbled. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like it was kind of an expensive, maybe we should have got a more expensive bag. <laughs> but no, um, but I, but you know, the, the thing that, that, that hit me was like how much joy she got out of doing that. Like she was just clearly just excited about blessing me in this way, and um, and wow, that's isn't that what the Lord wants? He want, he doesn't just want. You think God needs our money? Like or God needs stuff? God needs us to like give to the church and everything. I mean, maybe in the practical sense, yeah, we can argue that or whatever. But like God, he's he owns everything. He he doesn't want us just to give, but give grumpily. Oh yeah, fine. You know, here's my. Here's my tithe check or whatever. He, he loves, it says this in Corinthians, that he loves a cheerful giver. I mean, I've said this before. If you can't give cheerfully, keep it. Watch, we'll probably like have the worst month financially ever <laughs> this month. The elders are going to be like, can you not say that? Can you, like, I know what you mean, but can you just not say that? <laughs> Right, Mike? <laughs> Mike saying that to me one time. Maybe that's not the best thing to say. <laughs> Philippians 4 says this, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphrodite the gifts you sent. Listen to this. The gifts, the monetary gifts that, that the, the, the believers had given were described like this by the Apostle Paul. They were a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. How beautiful. All right, two last ones, and then we'll cut you loose. Number nine, suffering well. Suffering well. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised for those who love him. Listen, I know it doesn't feel good at the time, but when you are being tempted to sin in some way, or you're going through some hardship or physical pain, and when you're being tempted and you say no, right? The grace of God teaches us to say no. It hurts, right? It's not fun at the moment because like everything in your flesh wants to just like do the thing. But listen, listen, 
that suffering of temptation, or that suffering through a hardship, or responding meekly to an injustice, that is pleasing to the Father. He sees it, he notices it, it's a fragrance to him. And I think that's the greatest motivation for resisting sin. You know, sometimes when sin comes knocking on the door, I'm talking about more like sin, sin, fleshly, like you should drink too much or do a drug or do, you know, pornography or do, you know, just sleep with your girlfriend or do some stupid thing, right? You know, like it's, it's, it's knocking on your door. Like sometimes the, the mind, we're so selfish, right? We're like, how is this going to affect me if I do this sin? And hopefully you're wise enough to be like, this is not going to affect me well. This is going to feel really good for the next five minutes or next hour, whatever it is. Uh, and then I'm going to have to deal with the guilt and all that kind of stuff. But it's, sometimes we just think of it just through the selfish lens. You know, and we might be, well, maybe it's worth it. I'll have a sucky few days, but I'm just going to do this anyways. Listen, the supreme motivation for saying no to sin is because we do not want to grieve God and we want to please him. We want to bring delight to God. And even though it feels terrible to suffer a temptation, God, just know in your heart that God takes delight when you say no. And nobody else cares. Nobody else is going to see it. Nobody else is watching you. It's you and yourself. It's just you. It's you're, you're in secret. It's only you. So why not indulge, right? No, because what you do in those secret moments is a fragrance to the Lord God. So be faithful in those, in those moments. And then lastly, number 10, I can, I'm kind of uh, skipping some content here, but lastly, number 10, I don't want to skip over this one. This will be my final thought. Romans 8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In order to love God the way God deserves to be loved, we are going to need much more than just our human best, right? It's not just about, okay, I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to just give God my best. I'm going to try super hard this week to love God. And that's all fine and, fine and good, but how many know that there, we have human limitations, that we are just naturally selfish. And we are going to need constant, not only are we going to need to be true Christians that have the Holy Spirit living within us, but we're going to need constant renewal in our hearts, constant infillings of the Spirit, fresh baptisms, uh, the renewal of God's love, that shedding abroad of fresh love in the heart. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, because, man, it is so easy to fall into the mechanics, right? We're just doing the things. We're just doing the thing. Here we are, we're at church. We're doing, you know, just whatever the, the duties are, the obedience, the just going through the, mo like, no. We have to live almost in, a, I would say, a constant state of, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. And being in that posture, of, Nicole touched on it uh, during, during her piece there, just about receiving from, uh, in a posture constantly of, Lord, I need you. I need you for this situation. Fill me with love. Fill, you know, fill me with a fresh love this day. 
strengthen me for this meeting that I'm going to or this day at work or this time that I'm gonna spend with my extended family. Lord, fill me with your love. I don't wanna go with just my human love. I don't wanna go with just, you know, like I'm on like empty. Lord, just fill me with fresh love. We need that. And so that's why those who are really most serious about loving God are very serious about devotion to going to the well of God and drawing from God's, God's love. Dependence on God. And the Holy Spirit is really the ultimate one who is going to help us to love Christ the way he deserves to be loved. The Holy Spirit will empower us and fuel us and move our hearts. He will give us everything we need. But our job is to stay with him, to abide, to, to keep drawing. To And listen, I, there, I can't give you a simple, you know, a simple, oh, here's how to do that. You know, pray for 20 minutes and, you know, there's no simple formula for how to be, filled with the Spirit and be walking in the Spirit, be baptized with God's love. I I just can't give it to you. You just got to want it. You got to hunger for it. Constantly be cultivating that that posture of dependence on, on the Lord for His love to be able to love God with. That's a cute little sound there. Don't, don't throw your friend under the bus, Stacey. No. <laughs> it's all right. There's, it's her fault, right? Yeah. <laughs> you guys can work that out later. <laughs> all right, let's pray. Thank you for uh, staying a little later and, and listening. I hope this uh, first message sets us on a good, good track for the year. Jesus, we want to love you well. We want to love you with heart, mind, soul, and strength, with all that is within us. We, we take our stand right now and, and say we don't want to be nominal. We are not settling for loving you with half a heart or with a lax heart or a lame heart. We really, you deserve more. You're worthy of it all. Um, you deserve our best. Uh, so we want to honor you with our lives, with everything that's in us. Help us to live these out. in in this year and make us a people pleasing, fully pleasing to you. Pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening.